I'm Kelly, uh, and I uh, am a teacher at North Central High School. I teach biology and chemistry, and I also have been known to coach uh, track and cross country and been still kind of involved in that. Uh, I do snowboard, although I kind of have a feeling that the, um, the group that was uh, talking about this ministry would not really want me to identify myself as part of that group. If, if people saw me snowboard, they probably would not want that. I would not promote the, the cause of Christ, I don't think. Um, but I do believe that it's, a, uh, it's likely a miracle. I don't know if you, you thought about this. It, it's a miracle of God to get skiers and snowboarders to be a part of the same organization. Is that not a miracle? <laughs> so that shows right there that God's in it. Patrick. My name's Patrick, and um, what should I say? I work at, at Whitworth. <clears throat> I work at Whitworth work with faculty there, um, teaching them to teach online. I, I don't snowboard. I used to ski. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Um, well, we're going to give you a little context. Uh, we actually met, believe, believe this, 35 years ago. Uh, we're still friends. Uh, and we, we met at Camp Reed, the YMCA camp up north. Uh, and uh, among other things, we were counselors, uh, we've been friends, uh, and uh, we were members. Now, this may not mean anything to you, but if you were back in that era, that would mean a lot. We were members of the uh, famous Romanian acrobatic troupe, the Garbanzo Brothers. And those who were at Camp Reed at the time when we would perform weekly, um, were, it, it was legendary, I think, at least in our minds. And, uh, and we, I looked really hard for a pitcher, and we found some, but not with both of us in the picture, but we were a part of that, uh, part of that group. But we didn't come to talk to you about that. We'd love to. But uh, they asked us to talk to you, as, as uh, Russ said, about uh, this idea, and, and, and you could write this down as a title if you want, um, pursuing a lifestyle of active dependence on God. So we don't want to just talk about prayer. We really want to talk about what it means to pursue a lifestyle, not just a time a day or a time a week or whatever, of, of uh, an active dependence on God. It was about 30 years ago uh, when we were going to the same church, uh, and this guy came to speak, and he challenged us to spend a month uh, praying two hours every morning uh, together. Uh, there was a group of us, and we, we actually did that. It was from 5 to 7 a.m., in the morning, it was early. and um, I didn't drink coffee back then, so that was even more of a challenge. So um, anyway, it had a p- profound effect on us and kind of changed, changed the way that we, we viewed prayer and our relationship with God, and um, we also spent time over the last 35 years um, experimenting with different forms of worship and study building community, um, praying, sharing the gospel, things like that. And we've also walked away from some of those things for a season. And um, so we don't have it all together in this respect. But I guess it's given us a, perhaps a willingness to pursue, to pursue God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church theme for the last... Uh uh, month or so, and, and it's going to continue for the rest of this uh, school year, 
is uh, based on Ephesians 5.3. And if we can put that up there. To be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And the, we've been talking about how Jesus, uh, in the incarnation, uh, came and walked among us. He moved into the neighborhood. And, and so uh, we were studying what Jesus did and how that impacts what we should do and what our life uh, should be like. Uh, there's a, a powerful verse in uh, 1 John 2, 6 that Russ shared in, in the beginning of this series, uh, and it's this. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So what does this mean to walk as Jesus did? We could talk about the miracles, we could talk about the events, talk about the healings and, and so forth. Uh, but if you look at it more holistically, uh, I, I think what this verse is saying is if, if we claim to live, in, to live in him, then we must live the kind of lifestyle. I read a book this summer that, uh, by Dallas Willard that really impacted me. It's one of those things where you read uh, a concept and it just works deep in you and you can't get away from it and you don't want to get away from it. It challenged me and we want to challenge you perhaps with this this morning. Um, and the theme of the book was this, that we can't expect to do the things that Jesus did unless we live the life that he lived, the type of life he lived. We often focus on doing the things before we, we um, enter into living the life that he lived. And here's, here's a quote from this book. We cannot behave on the spot as he did if in the rest of our time we live as everyone else does. Jesus never expected us to simply turn the other cheek, go the second mile, bless those who persecute us, and so forth. These responses were gener- generally, generally and rightly understood to be characteristics of Christ's likeness, what might be expected of a new kind of person, one who intelligently and steadfastly seeks above all else to live within the rule of God and be possessed by the kind of righteousness that God himself has. Last week, Russ talked about an aspect of Jesus' lifestyle that, that seemed to be such a stark contrast with our own. And, and I think for that reason, it doesn't really make sense to us. Um, his life was so dependent on, on the Father. If you read John's Gospel, um, over and over and over he, again, he says... I can only do what I see the Father doing. My teaching is not my own. I got it all from the Father. My authority is not my own. And he just goes on and on in that, that theme. And Jesus prayed a lot, too. Um, in Luke 5.15, it says, Crowds of people came to hear him, and he healed them of their sicknesses. But he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So here's a question. I want you to turn to a couple people around you and, and see if you can come up with a couple answers for this. So why did Jesus pray? So let's hear from a couple of you. So why did Jesus need to pray? Anybody? This is the part that you actually answer. Raise your hand. And give, us a, give us some ideas. Give us some thoughts. Example. Example. He loved his father. Okay, good. Right. To demonstrate how we should pray. Guidance. Excellent. Wow. 
I want, I, want to, I want to lead in there. We're going to talk about four different aspects, and we, we actually made up a list of like 10, and we thought, well, we, want, we have an, another service coming at 11 o'clock, so we can't do that. But we, we narrowed it down to kind of four categories. Um, but here's, here's really a, a, how many would agree that it is a, or you've thought about this before, it is a strange thing. Why did Jesus need to pray? Or why did he pray? How many would agree that's kind of, kind of runs against what we think? We think that if anyone, how many would agree with this though? If anyone did not need to pray, it'd be Jesus. Okay, maybe we need to, but he would, he didn't need to. And I like that, I, that thought um, of that he was desperate. He was desperate. Desperate. Was he really desperate? Did he really, really need to? I like um, all of those things that you suggested, and. Um, I think one of the reasons, and several of those that you mentioned hit on this, just that he wanted a relationship with the Father. Uh, John 5.30, he says, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And um, that, that another translation, it says, um, I seek not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And really what you see in those two different words, to please God or to do his will, it's the same thing. Jesus wanted um, to delight the Father. You think about when you, you go to your kid's soccer game or you go to your kid's performance and they do something and they, they make a goal or something and you just get this big smile. You are so uh, thrilled with that. And that's what a father-son relationship, a mother child relationship is like. Um, and this word um, seek or pursue in Hebrew, it means it's translated a number of different ways because English doesn't quite have a word for that, but it means practice or to study or to frequent a place, to beat a path. Do you think about taking a path over and over again till there's just this groove um, because you take that route, you have pursued that. So Jesus is pursuing this relationship with his Father, and as he says in John over and over again, I am dependent. He, what he's saying in, in the way we would say it is, I ain't no superhero, okay? If Jesus is a superhero, then we're off the hook. Then all those things he says, well, you're going to do greater things than I am, and you're going to take the gospel to all nations, and you're going to walk a second mile. We, we can't do it. We're not um, superheroes. So, when it, Paul says in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself. He became a human being. So, yes, there's something mysterious that's hard to explain that he had this divine nature, but... The New Testament says that he took that off and he set it aside and he put on one of these. Uh, and that relationship with the Father, he says, I and the Father are one. And again, I don't, I don't understand what that means. Uh, I think, too, as part of that relationship, um, it was therapy for Jesus to have someone he was intimate with, he could continually go to 
Um, think about him coming up over the hill and seeing the city of Jerusalem, and he wept over it, and he lamented that because he knew they were rejecting him. Um, when John the Baptist was beheaded, he took his disciples and he said they withdrew uh, so they could be alone because that hit him hard. That grieved him. When he went to the funeral of Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead, he wept um, at that scene, at the grief. So he, he was just like us in that respect. He even asked the Father for an alternative to go into the cross. Don't, please, is there another way that I can do this? And in that time of, of being with God, he, he accepted what he had, came, he had come to do. So um, on our side of this, in terms of the relationship, we ain't no superheroes. Uh, we're born with brokenness as kind of standard equipment, and we need to pursue a relationship with the Father. We're made for this. Uh, I was married for 27 years to my best friend, Lisa, and she died a year and a half ago of cancer. And it was as if the father said to me, can you drink this cup? And I said, no, I can't. And it was like all of my confidence, my hope, my um, peace just leaked out of me. And all I could do was turn to the father, turn to God throughout my day, just hour by hour, a step at a time, um, and just say, help, I need you. And to most of my friends. Um, and actually, that it, it's interesting because in Hebrew, the word turn means repent. That's what's usually translated. And so repentance is just turning. It, it's not closing the blinds and crying on my knees with my head bowed and my eyes closed. It's just turning to the, God, to the Father. Um, and that has made um, all the difference for me. So we're just challenging ourselves and you to just do that, to, to take the time to just turn to the Lord throughout the day, just beginning where, where you are, not doing two hours every morning. That, when, after Kelly and I did that, um, two hours of praying every morning. That kind of became the gold standard, or I put the bar up there, and I, I haven't been able to do that again. Um, and if I didn't spend like one hour with God, then I felt guilty about that. And um, it was really a way of compartmentalizing um, my relationship with God. If I didn't do that, then the rest of the day sucked. And... I think through this um, dependence kind of thinking, it's changed the way that I look at that. So, how many would agree that it's, and maybe you've experienced this, maybe you've not, but um, there, there's, there's power in terms of our relationship with God by spending time with Him. How many have experienced that? 
or you understand the need for that. But another need, and, and we believe that, that Jesus needed, um, he needed to spend time with the Father because he needed direction. That may seem strange because he was, he was born with, with a sense of mission. But it's not just direction for the end of his life. You know, and, and one of the uh, indicators of this is the, the curious thing that he, he replied in the wilderness, for example, to the attacks of Satan, to the temptation. He replied with Scripture. Satan suggested that he turn, in this fasting time, that he turn this stone into a loaf of bread. And he, he rebuked him with Scripture. He said, the, word, the Scripture says, man cannot, does not, uh, must not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so he used the Scripture to rebuke. Now, the funny thing about that is, if you think about it, again, if anyone did not need to quote scriptures, Jesus. In fact, everything he, he said came out in red letters, if you've ever thought about that. <laughs> um, so, he, yet he not only quoted scripture for the devil, he quoted scripture to debate the Pharisees. He quoted scripture to teach his disciples. And I believe he meditated on scripture to guide the moments of his life, the moments of temptation and so forth. So if I'm going to live like Jesus then I need to work God's word deep into my heart. I need to memorize, meditate, learn to rightly apply it, um, and become a doer of the word, not just a hearer that deludes myself. Um, And Jesus said also he only did what he saw the Father do. What an amazing uh, ethic or or life script to only do what he sees the Father do. But that that was his. As Patrick says, he sought... As the scripture says, John 5.30, I seek not my will, but the will of my Father who sent me. I believe that Jesus sought the Father to choose his disciples, to decide where to go and who to heal and how to heal. You, you notice that every time he healed somebody, he used a different method. Um, his ministry did not follow a pattern, a strategy, or ten easy steps. He rather had only one mode of operation. Seek Follow the Father. So if I am to live a life like Jesus, I need to seek the Father's will. Now, Diane and I, my wife, we used to make, we were, we were um, kind of goal-oriented people and task-oriented people, and we'd make long lists during times we had time to do, to do things, vacation times or whatever. We'd make long lists of things to do. And we'd get so frustrated because people would get in our way. Somebody we hadn't seen for a long time would come into town and call us, hey, I'm coming over. Oh, but we got number three on the list we haven't done yet. Can anybody relate to that at all? Um, but um, there's great, um, great freedom if we, if we lay that down. And uh, one of my favorite morning prayers is this. Lord, I lay all my agenda down. Give me marching orders from your heart. There's great freedom in that. So what if all of us spent some time each day to seek the Father. And maybe some days, like for me, I don't get anything out of that. But sometimes somebody's, uh, some face comes to my mind. A scripture comes to my mind. Something comes. And I'll share an example of this. And especially for young people, you may may relate to this. Um, I was, I think, 21 years old. I'd been a camp counselor in the summers for three summers in a row. And it was about time that I grew up and got a real job. Plus, I desperately needed more money. And I had some prospects and some jobs to get. And so I decided I probably wasn't going to go back to camp. The camp director was encouraging me to go back. Um, 
I knew uh, I had great friends like Patrick who was going to be at the camp. I had this, this friend that was a good friend of mine who was, a, who was, a camp, who was the camp cook, believe it or not, who was my age, um, who was a good friend of mine. She was going to be back and many others. Um, and so I went, didn't know what to do. And, and another counselor friend of mine who was in the same boat, we, we, I went over to her house and we talked about it. And I said, let's go off separately and pray. See what God would do. So I literally went into this room, got on my knees. You don't have to do it that way, but so I did. Got on my knees, and I said, God, show me. You know, what, what should I do? And as soon as I started praying, I saw like a, a, a movie or a slideshow, just random faces of little funny-looking kids across my mind, just rapid fire. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you're going to, have to, you're going to have a chance to impact these, some of these kids in a way that maybe somebody else would not. I went, went to my knees in confusion or thinking maybe I shouldn't do that. I got up a few minutes later believing God had shown me what I needed to do. So I went that summer and went to camp. We joined the Garbanzo brothers that summer. And, uh, and, and experienced some things. I got to tell the camp uh, a ghost story on the overnight, except I turned it into a, um, into a different story that was an allegory of faith. And, and I got a chance to do public speaking really for the first time and found out that I really liked it. Um, I also, the first night of camp, I, um, that, that, that camp cook that was a friend of mine, I asked her, I said, hey, do you want to play ping pong? She said, Sure. <laughs> and so I started serving and using my backhand and my spins and I lost sight of the score but I just something in her eyes was beautiful <laughs> and then the violin started playing in the background <laughs> and it was magical and we were just friends the summer before but something was whispering to my soul like this is the one so she's cooked for me the rest of ever since basically <laughs> <laughs> so another, another reason that we were looking at Jesus um, cultivating and pursuing that relationship with the Father was to resist evil. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. And think again, the Son of God was tempted just with with anger, with thoughts of rage, with uh, lust, with um, hatred, but he didn't sin. Uh, you remember, everybody remembers um, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, um, but it, it wasn't, it was real, it wasn't fake. He was really tempted by Satan to use his power for himself, to show off, to feed himself. Uh, but he didn't give in to that. Um, so, and if you think about this, kind of on a daily basis, his motives were questioned. He was misunderstood by his family. He was falsely accused. He was criticized by uh, religious people. Think of that, substitute the word church leaders. He, was, he confronted critics, people who were powerful with a lot of, political power, military power, um, wealth, and he confronted demons. 
so we can say with Jesus that we, we have, there's evil around us that we have to resist. We need discernment. Is this the right time to speak up or not? Um, and continually asking forgiveness and, and asking the Father to just wash us, to clean us up. Uh, other Christians may be the ones who criticize you who confront you, who accuse you falsely. How are you going to respond? Um, I need to keep coming back to the shower room. When I was a student at Western Washington University in Bellingham, there was a group of us who started to get to know a group of Muslims from Saudi Arabia who moved in. There were like 35 of them, and... Nobody was getting to know them, so we began to eat with them and hang out with them, talk to them. And in talk, I didn't know anything about Islam, and I started talking with them, and I'd go home and go to bed, and it was like this recording was playing in my head. Well, maybe the Bible has been changed. Maybe Jesus didn't die on the cross. Maybe Islam is the truth. And I couldn't shut it off. I couldn't turn it off. And so what I began to do is just praise God and read scripture out loud. And I used that pursuit of God as a defensive weapon until that tape uh, stopped playing. That was the first time I'd experienced spiritual warfare. And nobody told me about it. I just, you know, in my relationship with God and reading the scripture, I figured that out. Um, And later... Uh, we lived in a Muslim country in the Middle East, and we, there was a group of us, and we were doing the same thing. We were sharing Jesus with our Muslim neighbors and our students and our people that we met. And there's kind of, if you're living in that atmosphere day in, day out, it's like this oppression or this heaviness that, that you just live under, and you can just kind of buckle or you can push back. And we, we began to worship and to pray, um, use intercessory prayer, praying for the country, praying for the leaders, asking God to bless our students. And we saw God work through that in a, in a powerful way. Um, one time we were at someone's house and we were just having a time of worship. Um, and this is something that we had cultivated Um, It's like you said at the beginning, we weren't just, hey, I know, let's sing. Uh, But this is something that we we did regularly. And the neighbor lady downstairs, she was from a Catholic background, and she was married to a Jordanian Muslim, and their relationship was very uh, strained because of her faith. So she came in at the room, and she sat down, and we started singing, and the presence of God just touched her, and she just wept, and she had to leave the room because she couldn't control herself. Um, And we saw many things like that where God did things that we couldn't do, uh, but he used us somehow. Uh, So I think that there's amazing things Mm -hmm. in store for us when we make that pursuit Mm -hmm. part of our life. And the final thing about what we feel like um, uh, 
reason that Jesus sought the Father is to stay on, on, on focus to his mission. And he obviously was born um, with, with a, uh, a great purpose and destiny. Um, but we often, us, and, 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 and we've known each other to know the times when we haven't been living in that mission. Uh, but we often live a prayerless, wordless, powerless, purposeless, purposeless uh, life because we forget our calling. So if my life is just about getting by or uh, being happy, then I really only need to pray in crisis, right? But what if God has called me to more than that? What if God has called me to my work and my family, my stations in life, to be an ambassador of the kingdom, to be salt of the earth, to be the light of the world for such a time as this? What if God has um, created me for a purpose that is far greater than my talents would indicate, than my personality would, uh, would indicate? Um, what if every time I pray, there's a, there's a spiritual ripple in the space-time continuum? Really? What if this stuff is really true? So I need to create space for God because I also need to get his heart. And when I pray, who's noticed this? That your heart, when I pray, my heart changes. Have you ever noticed that? When you, and that's why I need it. I need to devote my time to seek his kingdom because when I do, my vision changes. My plans change and my actions as a result change. Now, I can live a narrow, self-centered, self-focused life, and I often do. But if I don't want to live that life, then I need to choose to make space. And this is what we're calling you to this morning. To make space, wherever that space is, to make space for God alone. And let that lead you out of darkness into a different light. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he told us, what? Not to go do the work. He told us to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Isn't that interesting? But you know what? It was actually a sneaky trick. Because when you begin to pray for the harvest, God begins to change your heart. And after a while, besides praying for workers, you start saying, God, here am I. Send me. A few years ago, there's an opportunity Diana and I had, and we really felt that God may have spoken to us to take a girl from my high school who had been through foster care in a number of different situations and was desperate for a home, and to take her in. But we also knew if we were going to take her in, it was a call for a lifetime commitment to her. We weren't going to take her in on a trial basis. She'd had enough of that. And that's a heavy call. And, and God says when you, when you go to do something, count the cost. Don't enter something in if you're going to do it halfway. So we took it very seriously, and we, we had done things in our past at times that was a, a thing that ended up being very, very hard, and we didn't know what it was going to be like, even though we liked this, this girl. She had been in my class, and, and we had a heart for her. But we started to pray, and we thought, well, at the very least, we're going to pray for the home. So we started to pray for the home. God, would you send her a family? God, would you put her in a home where there's love? God, would you put her in a home where they could give time to her? God, you're going to put her home where they love Jesus. God, you put her in a home. And as we more and more prayed, the more the home began to look like ours. The more God began to whisper in our hearts, yes, I'll do that in your home. We need to pray. We need to make time for God. 
Not just because we need therapy, that's part of it. Not just because we need to change to be transformed, but we need to change our hearts, and only God will change our hearts. And I guarantee you, you spend your time, most of your days with Netflix. You spend most of your time on Facebook. You spend most of your time with hobbies or sports or obsessed with work or pursuing relationships or anything else. And your, your mind and your heart is going to be leading into those worldly visions. But you spend time alone with God, and it will change everything. And that's what we want us to for our lives, and we're experiencing a renewal in, in kind of this pursuing God recently. And there is a weird thing, but where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and there is liberty, and there is vision. But we need to get alone just like Jesus did. And if he needed to, I think I do. But we need to break free of the worldly habits and the worldly ways that we are conditioned and all of those around us are, are following. Now, Patrick... And, and we are worried about this. Our messages, and we're, we've dropped some things, but our message is going off script here. I mean, not going off script. It's longer than we, uh, than we thought it would be uh, because we are passionate about this. Um, and there's two of us, and it makes it even worse. Um, <laughs> but, um, but Patrick um, has developed some slides about what we're talking about, and then we're going to give you a chance to pray uh, and practice with worship, to seek God here. And so it's a chance. You can't get away from this, okay? Here, right here. No more putting this off. Right here, right now, in a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, Patrick's going to show us some slides he's made to kind of give you a picture of what we're talking about and what we're not talking about when we talk about making space for God. So here's my pie. Uh, you can see it's divided up into these different sort of ways that I, I devote my time, and me takes up a, consist, a considerable amount, and pizza and Netflix are, are part of that, but work is in there, and a little disc golf, okay? We thought that was important. Anybody can relate? Disc golf? Okay, here we go. Okay, so then if I decide, well, God isn't in here, so God ought to be in here somewhere. Next slide. So I'm going to give God some pie. Okay, so I've just taken Netflix out completely. Amen. And I've stuck God in there. And he's, right now he's getting about 8.2% of my time. But I think about this, and that doesn't seem right. He ought to have more than that. So I'm going to give God more pie. So now God has 30%, 30.2%. So I've really upped the ante here. But if you think about it, that's, that's kind of weird. I've always heard people say, you know, well, God, put God first. Make God number one. Put him at the top of the list. But he's still just a piece of pie. He's not God. That, that's just strange to me. It doesn't, it doesn't work. So if I were to take some of, my, some of a piece of pie in my disc golf and my work, and my time, and my, you know, kind of hard when I'm sleeping. Uh, but if I just make God carve out space in each piece of the pie for God, where I'm going to turn to him and just say, this is, this is for you, this is yours. Help me today at work with this. And I find myself losing focus at work, so I'll, I'll walk away from my computer because I work at a desk, and I'll just 
shut the blinds and I'll pace back and forth and say, what, you know, help me with this. I don't know what to do with this troublesome professor. Never. I've tried to do that as a teacher and kids kind of think it's weird. <laughs> so usually I wait between classes or something. But this is just a different way of looking at the same thing is, is making space at the center of my life so that the father is a part of everything that I do. And I'm starting small. I'm not um, praying two hours every morning. Um, And over time, what I want to pursue is a life that the Father is this transparent layer. He's a part. He's integrated into all of my life, even in my disc golf ministry. So... That's all we're talking about is just creating space at the center so that there's um, this orbit. We're orbiting the Father like the sun. So, I mean, the, the, the big sun. The, yeah. Mixed metaphors. We're gonna, um, so we're going to give you an opportunity. Um, this is your space. We're going to give you an opportunity um, while we worship. Uh, there's a, a scripture we are going to show, we may show um, right after, uh, just as a closure. But um, I'm going to give you a chance to seek the Father. And um, who knows? You may get a picture of faces of campers. You, um, and it may be simple. And I'm going to say that um, God has, and I think for both of us we could say this hundreds of times, hundreds of times, God has given us direction. He's given us sense of his presence. He's healed us. He's done amazing things. And other times it's just like, we don't know anything's happened, but we're trying to be faithful to make that space. And over time, that makes a difference. So we're going to give you space to do that uh, right now. So worship team's going to come up.